sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben adelberg and welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben adelberg this is episode 286 i sincerely hope that everyone had a great christmas with family and friends It is that special time of the year where I get to return to Kansas to reconnect with family and friends and inevitably start getting motivated and energized for the new year that is quickly approaching. 2023 is going to be an exciting year for me here at the back of the range, and I hope all of you are just as excited as I am. My guest on the final episode of 2022 is Derek Hitchner, the All-American from Pepperdine University. Derek is a native of Minneapolis, Minnesota, so you know that we dug into his start in the game and what led him to Malibu, California for his collegiate golf. Other than the weather, of course, that's pretty much a given. Derek may not be the flashiest guy to come out of Pepperdine in recent years. He's not Sahith the Gala or Joey Verzage. But he has been an integral part of that program. And if you're familiar with the term glue guy, well, that's that's Derek. Steady, dependable, and his play really does speak for itself. He's coming off of a great summer where he made a deep run in the Western and the U.S. Amateur, where he ultimately fell in the semis against Ben Carr. Derek just got done at the U.S. Walker Cup practice session in South Florida, and he'll be looking to catch fire this spring and throughout the summer to earn a spot on that team that will head to St. Andrews to defend their title. We spoke about his preparation process, which includes meditation, and also what lies next for him after college. Now, this is the 286th episode here at the Back of the Range, and in this episode, we reference some of Derek's former teammates, his coach, Michael Beard. And you already know what I'm about to say, don't you? Well, I'll say it anyways. Many of the people mentioned in this episode are former guests here at the Back of the Range. So go check out those episodes in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The best way for you to find every episode and to grab some merch is to head over to thebackoftherange.com. Let's jump right into this final episode of 2022 and close out the year strong. Derek, welcome to the Back of the Range. How are you? Yeah, doing well, Ben. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, we we have been bumping into each other for I I mean countless tournaments. I guess the last time we saw each other was was it USM or was there another tournament in the fall? I can't remember. Well, there there's been a lot of those moments, but oh, I East think it'd be matches. the East West. East West yeah, matches. Yeah. yeah, that was only about a month ago, Ben. Right? It's we're, somewhat we're, recent. Way to be somewhat. on top of things. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just feels like it's been a lot of travel, which I know you've been doing for quite some time and so have i um mm-hmm. how was how was thanksgiving where where are you are you in malibu are you in minnesota where where did you spend your holidays yeah i i did go back to minneapolis just for a handful of days um but since then i've i've left the tundra and, and returned to to malibu yeah. just for for finals and to uh just get back into the routine of practicing and and playing um i think it was it was in the upper 20s of degrees when i left minnesota so i from that standpoint, I'm not not missing it too much, but it was nice being home. I just want to make sure that everyone listening right now is taking note that the person that first brought up the frozen temperatures of my guest's home state was not me. It was you. 
as a, yeah, as, as, yeah. a as a native South Floridian that is just pretty much living <laughs> in eighty degree weather twelve right. months out of the year. I mean, most people would expect me to start poking fun at the fact that, you know, what, you know, did you turn, you know, was ice fishing ever an option for you over golf? But you brought it up right away. So I feel safe now to, to go full in on this. But no, you're, you're from Minneapolis. Yeah, Minnesota. give it to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's coming. Don't worry. Yeah. It's, it's coming. So, so good holiday, but you're back in California. And, um, and yeah, we will definitely hit upon the, the topic of how do you, I mean, well, of course, why wouldn't you? But like getting from Minneapolis to Malibu, uh, I've heard some very interesting paths as far as going from, you know, junior and high school golf to college golf. But that seems like a pretty brilliant move on, 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 on your, your behalf. That, that's, that's pretty yeah. smart. That's pretty smart. Well, it, I, I would call it fortunate rather than smart. I, I would say that it largely occurred due to coach beard taking a, a chance on me. Um, if he didn't, if he didn't do that, it, it really wouldn't have worked just cause I, I didn't, I didn't really have the pedigree as a junior to warrant, I would say a lot of maybe high end recruiting options. And so just the fact that coach beard decided to engage in a, in a dialogue and, and take a chance was, uh, was ultimately very fortunate. Where did you guys first meet? And this is coach Michael beer of Pepperdine. Just to make sure everyone's paying attention who has also been a guest on the back of the range. So um, go pull up that episode. If you want to learn more about coach beer, but when did you first meet <laughs> coach beer? We met actually in Ireland in 2015. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Let's yeah, I, that's a bit of a curveball. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I had that in my notes, Derek. Thanks. All right, so let's talk about Ireland. Yeah, it, so it was at a camp called the, the Kerry Cup. Um, okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I It's hard to explain. Basically, just a, I wouldn't call it a standard junior camp just because it's in a different country. Um, but it was in the summer of 2015 at a place called Waterville in Ireland. Yes. And... Yeah, just a really, really cool opportunity and experience. Uh, there, there were probably a dozen college coaches there, and I'd say the the majority of which were Ivy League schools. And then randomly, uh, Coach Beard was there. Actually, funny enough, Coach Sambury was there too. He was um, he was at USC at the time, I think. Yeah. Um, it, actually, I, I know he was. But yeah, and so it just happened on a very, very unexpected at a very, very unexpected place and at a very unexpected time. But just when we were there, we um, started talking at one point. And I think at that point he wasn't overly impressed with my, honestly, pretty much everything golf related, but (laughs) (laughs) apparently he, he, uh, he tolerated me as a person. And and so we kind of kept in touch sparingly. And then I had a good, I had a good season in my high school spring season season in the the following spring mm-hmm. and at that point we kind of re-engaged in in conversation and then he i guess just kind of tracked me throughout the summer i, th- I think still he wanted to see a little more in terms of results and um I, I i guess fortunately i just i kept improving just little bit by little bit and um ultimately he he gave me an offer i think in the the winter of my junior year and so it it was a pretty extended timeline but I think that's very understandable from his standpoint, just because I needed to continually, continually demonstrate that I was, I was getting better and, and working at it. Um, I guess I, I convinced him that that was the case. You, you pulled a fast one on him is what I'm hearing. You just, no, I, I mean, you, you, you had a great, <laughs> Pretty much. well, you had a great high school career. I mean, we're going to get into what you did at the Blake school. I mean, you, you know, three times state <laughs> champion and you know, you won the individual in 2016 
and I mean, pretty dominant fashion. I think there's an 11 stroke victory thrown there somewhere. Um, yeah, it just, you know, you, you, you pretty much uh, dominated in high school golf with a pretty <laughs> solid team there, but, um, definitely. so we'll get into more about, so I want to ask you before we talk about just kind of finally making that decision to go to Pepperdine, yeah. um, I am, uh, you know, as many would expect, full full on uh, golf nerd, especially amateur golf. You are a member of Minicata, which is yes. a club <laughs> right out of Minneapolis, or right, mm-hmm. right outside Minneapolis. And I'm sure you know this. This is where Chick Evans won his U.S. Open in 1916. That's right. That's right. So this is just a not just a historical club. I think it's the oldest country club west of the Mississippi. I mean, that's how deep we're going here on Minicata knowledge. Yeah. How? <laughs> tell me about this club and and learning the game there. Yeah, it's it's an amazing place. I'm eternally indebted to to Minicata and and the members and the the staff there, just because they they really embraced and welcomed me when i was when i was young and i think it just from what i've been told whenever i got introduced to golf i was very addicted to it and so that would translate to me just spending literally the entirety of a day at minicata just chipping primarily also putting and hitting balls and and everyone was just was so welcoming to me and and um just i guess embraced the fact that i i wanted to be there and really just made it a very friendly environment and and so that was kind of the foundation for me to just build on for from just a golf standpoint and I, I could just practice there as much as I wanted and and play and honestly I, I'd say a, a solid bulk of just the people who support me are, are from Minicata and so I've I've made some incredible connections there and and friendships that I'll I'll have for the entirety of my life and um, that's where I met my my longtime swing coach as well uh whose name's Marshall Hoynes and we've worked together for probably 15 or 16 years. And so yeah, Minicata just has a, a central place in, in the, I guess the story of my golf career. And yeah. um, I'm just, just so grateful that I, I could grow up playing there. I think it's something that, I mean, people that are listening that are members at a club, um, you know, these are the kind, the types of opportunities that you really, that have to exist for the most part for kids to progress up, up the, up the chain and to create that mm-hmm. welcoming environment. Okay. Maybe you don't have the history of Minicata. Maybe you don't have facilities. Maybe, you know, some clubs are going to have 36 holes as opposed to 18, or maybe they have different rules mm-hmm. when juniors can be out there. But if you create that environment, I'm guessing the environment itself is kind of what helped you as opposed to, you know, the quality of the course or the quality of the facilities. It's just, when you go in there, they're not saying, Oh, it's the Hitchner kid. He's still <laughs> right, no, they're right. like, come on in. What do you need? How can we help? And and totally. Yeah. So how how big was your crew that you kind of ran with it at I I'm, I'm I love just hearing stories of just like, yeah, this was the day to day. How how big was the crew at uh, at Minicata? Yeah, yeah. I had a few really close friends who I would I would play with very frequently. Um just a couple other guys who were just as invested into golf as I was, and so we could just entertain ourselves by doing chipping games and just playing for, for the entire day. And, and so having that core group of people to play with and develop with and practice with was, was pretty essential. And then in addition to that, just having the support from the staff, I I mentioned Marshall earlier and and also other assistants who were just incredibly nice to me and, and tolerated my 
my presence for I don't understand where's this so whole long. tolerated thing. I mean, are, you're, you're really coming off as like a kid that like stole car stereos or something. <laughs> I mean, you're not fooling anyone. Like, well, it, is there some sort of aspect of your personality that everyone's missing? Because nobody has a bad thing to say about Derek <laughs> Kitchener. So where's this coming from? It's just, it's reflecting in hindsight on how I was just always there. Okay. So and just, I'm like, just, okay, I got you now. Okay. And the fact that I would chip thousands of balls and people would just come pick them up and give them back to me, then I would chip them right back to them. And so <laughs> from that standpoint, I could see myself being fairly annoying. And so I see. that's kind of what I'm, what I'm referring to. Okay. Okay. You're trying but to sell they're, me they're all... like you're a juvenile <laughs> or something. I'm like, I'm not seeing that, bro. I'm not. I'm yeah. Not... Yeah, so far so good. Yeah, no, I, I think you're I think you're doing doing okay in the street there. Now, <laughs> now obviously, um and you play a lot of uh of you know events in the uh, Minnesota Golf Association. I know you're state state am champion in twenty one and runner up in the state open in twenty one. And I I I always like when players despite what kind of collegiate success they have or what other success they may they may find they're always playing in a state am, a state open, um, you know, j- junior am, things like that, because those really, you know, the, the state golf associations are really the the birthplace of all the greatest amateurs in the country. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm down in Florida. We have I can't even I can't remember how many days of competition they have in Florida, but it's there's always something. I mean, it's more than 365 days of competition that they run. Um, yeah, but yeah. obviously in Minnesota, as you reference, not me, there are some weather concerns in the state of Minnesota <laughs> that we Floridians uh, don't have to deal with. But what does what does the average golf season look like for you when you're, you know, 15, 16, 17, playing in state AMs, junior AMs? How did you kind of transition back into golf once the weather got better? Yeah, yeah, it, it was challenging. Um it was just, it was such a condensed season and that's, I mean, we can talk about the, the state association at some point, but that's another reason why I appreciate them so much is that they, they pack all these tournaments into such a, a small window of time and just adds to, to the impressiveness of what they do and, and my appreciation for them. And, um, but yeah, it usually, I would say the golf season starts at some point in April. Um, I mean, the conditions are, are somewhat crummy for, for a bit of time, probably just a handful of weeks. And then, it starts to get really good, I would say, in mid-May, moving forwards, and then the fall golf is really good, but it it comes to a pretty abrupt end usually in maybe later October, and so it's just yeah, just a very condensed window of time where you have to really pack in the, the practicing and playing as much as you can, and then in the winter it's it's either traveling somewhere warm to play or, or just making do with what you have in terms of indoor facilities and simulators and whatnot, and so I would say for when I was in high school, I I did a little bit of traveling. I would, I would always try to play in a, a tournament here or there, but it was just, it was hard from the standpoint of, I just felt like I was behind, behind just lagging behind other competitors just because I was, I'd been indoors. I hadn't really been putting or chipping, obviously not on, on real surfaces, right. but I was just having to, to work with artificial surfaces and hitting a ball into a screen that stops five yards in front of me. And so it just didn't, didn't really feel like I was prepared for those winter events, um, which was a, a very strong contributing factor for why I decided to, to, um, to go to Pepperdine. But yeah, I would, so I, I would travel a decent bit and, and play in a few tournaments and then just practice, I would say a, a reasonable amount indoors. I just, I never, I never really enjoyed doing it nearly as much as, as I enjoyed normal practice. And so 
the motivation to hit balls into a screen for a few hours just wasn't very strong. And so I would say I would do enough to, to stay somewhat sharp, but um, it, it, it was hard. It, it was, it was challenging kind of balancing active traveling and, and just making do with what you have. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're checking numbers, that's one thing, like you're checking spin rates, you're checking swing speed and things like that. But at some point you, yeah. want, you want to see what window the ball's going, going out of. Totally. Totally. Yeah. 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 I, I completely agree with that. Um, so talk to me about, you, you finally get to this spot where you, you're getting the closer to committing and, and Pepperdine is becoming a reality. Now I know you have the warm weather, but you can find warm weather at other places in the country. Small area out there. It's it's not a state school. What really drew mm-hmm. you there? Was it just the relationship with Coach Beard, or were there other aspects of Pepperdine that uh, that really kind of drew you in? Yeah, yeah, that was a primary contributor. I would say overall, just the fact that I didn't I didn't see any downsides to to going. It just seemed like it was a honestly such a perfect place from a golf standpoint. From a an academic standpoint from a just location standpoint. And so I just, I I felt like I wasn't going to find anything better. And I was just, I was so excited about the, uh, the schedule they play, the the players they had, the coaches they had, the facilities they have. And, and it, it just really seemed like it added, it just all kind of came together into a a really, really perfect environment to where I could just see myself improving there and, and getting better. And, and, um, and yeah, once I, once I fully acknowledge that or, or realize that it, I just, I kind of had my eyes set on, on going there and there really wasn't much to deter me from, from that aspiration. Yeah. And you come into this team as a freshman, you got South Fagala, you have McCarthy, a Fiegler is really, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, is it Fiegler, Fagler? I'm, I always screw that up. I, th- I think technically Fagler. Okay, perfect. Um, so you have, you know, South, I see, I can pronounce South, but I can't, you know, Fagler. Um, <laughs> so, so you have South Figala on this team. You have McCarthy yeah. on this team. You have Fagler on this team. They're really the established stars of this lineup. And, totally. And you come in as a freshman and I mean, you must've at some point been like, I mean, thrilled that you're in Malibu, California, first of all, like, oh my gosh, I'm really here. But this this team more so than probably other teams in the country has never had massive lineups. Uh, there's not you know there's not 15 guys on this team. There's like mm-hmm. nine, and they're all right. and they're all killers. Yeah, so when yeah. You step in yeah. for your freshman year and see like okay, this is what I'm up against. What mm-hmm. were your immediate thoughts during your freshman season? Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was definitely an eye opener just because I. I'd played with a lot of good players in Minnesota and throughout my junior career, but just having that concentration of just incredible golf talent in, in one, in one place and one team was pretty, pretty incredible to be honest. Um, and it, it became even more so my sophomore year when, when William Mao came in and, and then Dylan also arrived at, and as well as Joey Versich. And so the, I would say the acceleration from a fr- freshman year to sophomore year was also massive but even freshman year I mean, we had such a high quality team and the other freshman was joe highsmith and yeah from the get-go he, he was an incredible player as well and and so yeah i, I think it was it was just, it was obviously challenging from the standpoint of I, I wasn't i wasn't as good as a lot of them <clears throat> when i first got there and as a direct result i was often the one person not traveling and so it, it was difficult in in that sense but it was also motivating at the same time just because i obviously wanted to be traveling with those guys and 
and the best way to do that was to learn from them. And so I really just took, took on a mindset of, of trying to learn as much as I could from guys who were just better than me and, and just day by day, try to keep improving and refining. And so it was, um, yeah, certainly an eye opener, just seeing how, how good the best amateurs can be. And, but at the same time, it, it was, I just felt like it was an incredible opportunity to learn from them and, and to, uh, just find ways to get better. Do you remember when it actually started to click for you? Cause that's a really tough year, not just, you know, for your, I'm guessing it's really the first time you're, you're away from home for an extended period of time. It's, yeah. it's different than Minnesota. You have, you know, no one's telling you to go to class. You, that's kind of, <laughs> I mean, you, you gotta, yeah. go. no one's, no one's waking you up and say, you know, Derek, right. it's time for school. Um, right. <laughs> do you remember when, when it actually started to click as far as, okay, I have my academics. I mean, you're, you're clearly, that is something you took care of, you know, right off the bat, your commissioner's honor roll, you're as a freshman, you're an all American scholar, your sophomore year. I mean, you know, academic first team. I mean, that's, that's clearly something you've been able to, to jump into very quickly, but, mm -hmm. but when did the golf aspect start clicking where you're like, okay, I see the path to improve here. I see where I can trim a couple off uh, my score and get into that lineup. Do you remember when it started to click? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for basically the entirety of my freshman year, the, the biggest obstacle I had was just inconsistent ball striking. And I would say that directly led to the fact that I only had one under par round my entire freshman year. And those, it was just a 71. So the, the ball striking just prevented my, my scores from being better just because I didn't, didn't give myself enough chances. I had too many penalty strokes and, and so the change I made was I, um, <clears throat> I strengthened my grip with actually a new coach. I also started working with named Greg Casagranda. And at the very end of freshman year, I went to see him for the first time. And at that point, I just had a very weak left and right hand grip. And, and as a result, just had a very open club face for the duration of my swing. And he basically just told me I, as a result of that, I, I just have so much timing and, and hand rotation in my swing that it's hard to find the consistency that I need to right. to improve. And so he encouraged me as well as my, my coach back home to just strengthen my, my left hand primarily. And then as a result, my right hand kind of fit into a more neutral spot. And, and honestly, honestly, immediately as I started doing that, I just started hitting the ball better. And I felt like my dispersion was tightening pretty much throughout the bag. And, and then that summer I finally started seeing more under par scores. And, and so I would, I would just attribute the grip change um, to the, the first kind of step of improvement that I had. And, and, um, then I tried to incorporate more things after that, but that was, that was a pretty key change for me. It's, uh, it's incredible that, and this is not specific to you at all, but it's incredible when you think about this game and all the technology and, and how hard it is and how many good players there are out there that simply a, a, slight tweak to the grip. Yeah. Is, right. Is a, right. Right. It's so, ridiculous. Now, Okay, let me let me dig into this a little bit further. Now yeah. you figured it out. How do you maintain that fix so that it becomes natural and you don't overdo it, which is easily what most people do. They find a fix totally, and they're like, "Let's fix it more." And now, before you know it, you you don't even know what you're doing when you're holding the golf club. How how yeah. do you manage this and kind of keep an eye on it? It's a great question. And that's, that's the exact point that Greg emphasized more than anything is just is taking is being very diligent about taking videos from a, both a face on and a down the line angle, just and basically doing that every day just to really stay on top of and be proactive about monitoring the grip, making sure that 
slight changes don't occur. And I mean, it, it's hard though. And I, I've, I've dealt with, with what you mentioned, which was going too far to the other extreme. And, and basically it just, it's something that just kind of happened very, very gradually over time. And I didn't notice it until it was noticeably different. And that just, and in that situation, it was probably just day by day. It was moving just in right. unimaginably small degree, but still just, I think for the most part, just being very diligent about the video taking by and large kept it in place. I, I have, like I said, I have struggled with, with that at times, but for the most part, it's been pretty effective at, at keeping the positions I wanted. So you have like hundreds of pictures of your hands in your phone. Is that basically what you're saying? Uh, when you put it that way, it's a little <laughs> concerning. I'm going to say I have hundreds of pictures of just my, my face on swing, okay. not zoomed in. So it, uh, I have a lot of swing videos. I, I, I'll phrase it that way. There you go. No, I, well, that's, I was thinking like, that's what you have to do. Like if you're hitting it yeah. well, like, I mean, yeah. dude, if you shoot 65 and you're like, you're hitting every single green and you're hitting the center of every single fairway, I would mm-hmm. literally just give my phone to someone and said, I'm just take a picture, take a picture of my hands. I'm holding it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. Um, well, I want to ask about this 21 team. This is the national championship team. Uh, this yeah. was, and what's funny is, you know, you're, you're a very good friend of yours and, you know, fellow freshman at the time that came in, you guys came in the same year, Joe Highsmith, you know, he, he yeah. goes, he goes three and zero in the, in the, uh, in the match play portion of that championship. He was not yeah. in the starting lineup. He was the sixth man. Uh, he replaced RJ Mankey, but this was yeah. Smith and Dylan Minetti and Mao and, and Fagler and, and Versich. And mm-hmm. you weren't there. And I just am yeah. curious. I know that's kind of I'm I'm ripping a band-aid off or something, but I'm curious like, yeah. Yeah. how how do you take that and what was kind of your mindset at that moment where you know you obviously improved from your freshman season, um, you know, had a lot more under par rounds, but didn't make that part mm-hmm. of the lineup. How did you take that and move that into your summer of twenty twenty one where was it an incredible summer for you? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was such a bittersweet experience because I, I wasn't even on site that week. And so I was driving back home to Minnesota and um, just, yeah, watching, watching those guys you mentioned kind of progress through stroke play and match play and, and ultimately win was such an incredible, incredible experience to uh, just knowing that those are my best friends who had accomplished that. And that at times throughout the year, I'd, I'd also contributed to it, but simultaneously I, I wanted more than anything to actually be participating in that, in that experience. And yeah. it was, um, yeah, so it was, it was, it was frustrating, but it was also just kind of a sobering moment in the sense that I just, I recognized I wasn't good enough and, and it, it, it's not like I'd been wronged out of a spot or I, I hadn't had a chance at it. I, right. I had, but I just, I'd been getting beat consistently by six or seven guys. And I mean, that just doesn't, it doesn't deserve to be in the lineup. And so it was kind of a moment where I, I feel like I was able to reflect pretty clearly on, on what, what my shortcomings were and, and what needed improvement and, and um, just taking the attitude of, of trying to learn from that and, and not getting too emotionally devastated by, by me not participating, but just looking at it as, as an opportunity for improvement. And um, yeah, I just tried to apply that moving forward. Yeah. I mean, you had a, but your 21 was fantastic. I mean, actually your 21 ended on a really good note at the Western, you know, top five there, but you know, it's highlighted by winning the transmiss, winning the Minnesota state am and runner up in the state open. And I mean, these are the things that, you know, and then you, you play in the Western, you qualify for USAM and you had to have a great summer right there. 
And I can't help but think that, you know, not to say you're, you're carrying some chip on your shoulder, like, like you just said, you weren't wronged or you didn't, you didn't get cheated yeah. on the spot, but I'm sure you're heading into that summer with a little bit of fire under your ass saying, okay, mm-hmm. it's time to get to work. Totally. Totally. And it, it's actually funny you mentioned that Western because that was, <clears throat> that was my last tournament of that season yeah. and played really solidly. I finished fourth. Um, I think I was around second on the team, but I just hadn't, I didn't produce that level of play consistently at all throughout the, the semester. And so I think we had maybe a brief two day qualifier after that. And I ended up finishing middle of the pack in that. And, and that was effectively the end of my season. And so it was just, yeah, it's just a situation where I was just consistently getting beat by, by a lot of guys. And, and so it was, um, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, it, it was, it was motivating in a lot of ways, but it was also just, just an opportunity to, to learn and, and improve. And, and so applying that to the summer, I'd, I feel like I was just able to, to really reflect pretty accurately on, on what had gone wrong that junior year. And, and, um, and yeah, it, it was exciting to see that I was able to kind of gradually improve throughout the summer. And, and, um, I would just say, I, I think the, the primary thing that summer was, was both a perspective change, but also some, some physical refinements that I needed in, and so just being able to see the, that the, the work that I invested into those things validated on the course was, was pretty exciting. And um, I mean, I, I think with the transmiss, I, I hadn't won since the, the event in, in my high school, I think my sophomore year of high school. And so that was also just such, such an amazing experience being able to, to cross the finish line again. Um, but yeah, it was just such a, such a volatile, I, yeah, 20, 2021 year, I guess, because I, I dealt with the kind of, I guess, the setbacks of not being in the postseason lineup, but also just feeling like I was able to, to kind of rise above that and 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 play just better golf in the summer. Yeah, that's a very, I mean, just by looking at it on paper, that's a pivotal. It's pivotal. That's a pivotal point <laughs> in your career because you can either take it, like you said, you could you could have taken it the way like, man, I had a really good finish at the Western. Why am I in the lineup? This is, this is bullshit. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to like, all right, that happened. Now let's get to work. Let's, 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 you know, let's figure out a way to not be in this situation ever again. Yeah. Um, you mentioned physical. I know, you know, there's all sorts of different things people do to, to kind of improve their game, whether it's fitness or diet or, you know, gaining speed. Um, meditation's big with you. And I mm-hmm. know that mental preparation, you know, it can be mentioned briefly, like, yeah, I, have, I work with my with a sports psychologist or, yeah, I have a mental coach, but not much else is kind of explained. Can you explain how you've added meditation to your – because this is something that anyone can add, whether you're a 15 handicapper, this is something that you can, you know, really incorporate. Uh, just about anyone can incorporate this into their game. Yeah. Where, where does meditation help you the most, you think? It, it helps me with everything. And I know that's, that's probably a, a frustrating answer, but it, it, it's, it's the truth of it. And, um, I don't, I don't exactly remember what kind of catalyzed my, um, desire to start meditation, but well, actually I can, I can tell you what it was. It, it was, I, w- I was playing a lot of tournament golf in, in 2021 and, um, early 2022. And I actually, I started meditation maybe more recently than you think. I, I think it was, at the early part of the summer. And so the, the, and kind of the reason for that was that I was playing a lot of these tournaments and like everyone, I was experiencing nerves and anxiety and I felt like it was, it was challenging for me to deal with that effectively. And, um, 
I'd kind of tried tried the the spectrum of perspective shifts of of physiological changes, meaning like just slowing down when I was moving and just trying to take a little more time with every kind of component of of my actions. But I just didn't feel like that was in really the heat of the moment when I when the nerves were at their their highest point. That those I guess tools or skills were really helping me as, as much as I needed, and and so. <clears throat> I think the draw to meditation was just the idea of having better command over what dictates your thoughts. And, and so, yeah, it, back to what I, I said initially, it, it, it's honestly transformed my life in, in a ton of ways, but I think on the, the forefront of those, of those different ways is that it just, it engages my mind in the, in the present moment so much differently than I'd ever really experienced before. And so just present mindedness and having complete focus on, on the specific action that I'm doing in the specific moment was, um, was the biggest change. And, and in terms of golf, I've been able to apply that very usefully in, in a lot of situations. And I think the USAM was a great test case for that, just in that I was able to really focus on, on not necessarily controlling my thoughts, but controlling what I think about within those thoughts. And so with the USAM, for example, like in the, in the, I vividly remember this in this, in the semifinal matches, when we, when we teed off, I, all I was focused on was just the sensation of walking and the sensation of feeling the ground in my feet. And what that does is it, it gives my mind a destination. It, it gives my mind something to focus on that completely removes it from the circumstance I'm in. And that's, that's the biggest change. It's just the idea that I can really concentrate my mind on something and, and completely extricate the mind from where I am. And, Obviously, the, the semifinals of the USAM is a situation that is incredibly anxiety-producing and, and nerve-wracking, but just having a very specific concentration and, and focus kind of removed me from the anxiety that that circumstance would produce. And so it's kind of a long-winded answer. I, I said no, a lot, but... No, it's great. I, I'm, that's why I shut up, and I, I do my best work when I shut up on this podcast, but I wanted you to <laughs> kind of explain that because... You're right. You're, and, and I've noticed also that you're finding yourself in more and more, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, more and more pressure tournaments and situations, more televised tournaments. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. you have more cameras around you, more idiots like me. But I mean, you have, you know, the Western and USAM and, and Eastlake Cup, I believe. Eastlake Cup, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And Western Intercollegiate is televised. And um, I'm sure I'm missing a couple here and there, but... You're around more and more uh, pressure situations. Yeah, for sure, and that's why that's why it's been so helpful for me. Is it's it's taking me away from the anxiety that those situations produce, and and so yeah, just the I think the core principle of of giving my mind a destination and and allowing it to just concentrate fully on that, um, just really ingrains ingrains my mind, myself, whatever, whatever you want to call it, just in that present moment and in precisely what I'm doing. And so it's just, it's a complete engagement with every moment, every movement I have or do. And, and just, um, just the fact that that basically distracts me from what I'm doing in a sense. And, and that specifically is what has, I think, allowed me to manage some of those nerve wracking situations a little better than I might have previously is, is I've just, I feel like I've, I've learned a, a and I'm still, such a novice in, in meditation and have only really just started, but just learning how to deal with those situations a little more effectively is something I would attribute to just practicing that. 
Are you a big numbers guy when you're playing? Uh, you know, I know Coach Beard was on your bag during the U.S. Amateur. Um, are, are you a big numbers guy where you really get into the the, the minutiae and the details of every single shot, or do you kind of try and trim it down as much as possible to prevent yourself from uh, maybe just you know over engaging mentally? I mean, how do you for find, sure? Yeah, how do you what, what's your approach when? You know, yeah, yeah. I would I would say I try to strike a balance between those two things. Um, I mean, I, I definitely want to avoid paralysis by analysis and and kind of preventing myself from looking at too many different numbers or, or different ideas and kind of still maintaining a lot of feel and, and kind of instinctual play. But at the same time, I I care a lot about strategy and and Coach Zambri is is um, very involved with the the decade course management program, I guess. And, and so I've, I've incorporated that, um, into my game and I, I adhere to that pretty faithfully. And, and so I would say in terms of numbers, that's kind of the extent of what I look at is, is just having a kind of a precise strategy based on the numbers that decade provides. But apart from that, I, I don't really complicate it more, I would say. And, and I still, so yeah, I, I use numbers from that standpoint, but that's, um, that's kind of the extent of it. Well, you had a great summer again in 2022. It was actually, truthfully, it just it, it ended on a massive high note. I mean, you had a nice defense of your title at the Transmiss, you know, finishing in the top 10. But really where your summer uh, just kind of, you know, blossomed is really at the tail end of it with, uh, you know, quarterfinals of the Western. And then obviously we talked about briefly that semifinal, run to the semifinals in the USA. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, how, do, how do you... Uh, well, I want to ask about the, the U.S. Amateur. So, you know, we're talking about your your run to the semis, but mm -hmm. um, I do have uh, some footage of a par putt on the playoff Wednesday morning <laughs> on the 15th hole that looked about yeah. four to five feet. So we just yeah. talked a lot yeah. about meditation and calmness and awareness. Uh, how, right. how, how, how are things going during that five-footer for par on that, on that playoff hole? <laughs> I'm I'm glad you mentioned that putt because that is that's honestly the that's the shot I think about when because I ever since USAM I'll, I'll have moments where I look back on the fact that I fell a little short of of an incredible opportunity and and all the ramifications of that and and obviously there's a ton of disappointment and and frustration with the fact that I was just a little short of that but at the same time or I should say on the other side of the coin I I look back on that putt and. I was a five footer away from not advancing. And right. even, even beyond that, I had probably two, five to six footers in the last couple of holes of the second round of short play that I needed to make. Thankfully I was able to, but even beyond that, I had to, I had to chip in, in my original qualifier in Minnesota just to make it to the USAM. And so there were, there were so many moments where I was on the cusp of, of, of not advancing or the cusp of not, not qualifying, but, I was just luckily able to summon the, uh, the ability to do so. And, and so, yeah, that, that putt in the, the playoff hole was unbelievable just because I had, I really felt like if I just hit the green, I would advance pretty comfortably. And then I, I'm looking at a 30 footer being like a pretty straightforward <laughs> putt. And then next thing I know, it's just, it's speeding by the hole. And, and I'm, I, I just, I couldn't believe that I'd put myself in that position and, Funny enough, actually, that was the same pin as the stroke play pin location, and I had a very similar putt in stroke play that I missed. And so 
I just there were there were so many things circulating in in my mind as I as I was approaching that putt. But again, just going back to what I what I talked about earlier, just really concentrating on a specific thing and and uh, committing to to my target as much as I could is basically what I try to do. And um, I don't even know if I put a good stroke on it, but I just looked up and it was it was traveling <laughs> where I wanted it to, and, and luckily went in. But that was yeah, that was an incredible, incredible I'll, moment. I'll have to dig up that clip and I'll I'll send it to you for you to look at. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that whole you know it's so funny. So you got fifteen for eleven, and and it's a, I mean Ridgewood is just such a magnificent golf course, and it's yeah, just so yeah. demanding. And they have you guys. They roll you guys out there to the fifteenth hole, which. You know, other than I mean, there's there's some there's some pretty severe bunkering, but it's it's 150 yards. I mean, it's yeah. basically the shot that every golfer hits on the driving range. <laughs> it's it's that it's shot, true. and I saw some guys out there that were just. I mean, I'm seeing players talk to their coaches and their caddies, and they're going over this back and forth and pull a different club. And I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone's a mess out there. Yeah, it's yeah. Bad. I mean, not, I mean, rightfully so, but it's. It, yeah. Mean, how how nerve? I mean, is that got to be one of the most nerve wracking shots you've hit in a long time? Yeah. No. Undoubtedly. It, I mean, to your point, it, it's such a straightforward shot. The, the green's not that small, and it, it's no. and a comfortable nine iron. And, but <laughs> I mean, I was in the second group, and I I'm sure you remember the first couple of shots in the first group, and and so uh-huh. <laughs> it was just. I mean, <laughs> it, I, the, yeah, it yeah. was just it was such a such a wild experience because it everyone knew that it was a straightforward shot, but they had to also acknowledge the fact that it was probably one of the more stressful shots of their lives. And so it was a really, really just strange experience. And yeah, I just, I tee the ball up knowing that if I just, if I put a decent swing on it, I'd, I'd get it on the surface. And so, yeah, I was, I was very nervous. I, I, I have to have yeah. to be transparent about that, but I also, I just, I felt like I was, I was ready for the shot and I felt like I was, uh, I kind of had a good plan for it and whatnot. And, um, but I will say I, I hit it and it, it felt somewhat decent, but it looked like it was a little short and it, I mean, it, it only carried the bunker by probably a couple feet. And so I was on the, the edge of disaster yeah. on what should have been a pretty easy shot. And so it was, um, yeah, yeah. Very, that, that very first group, experience. Boy, that first group. I mean, I, I love those guys, but that first, I mean, if you, if, if you want to send a message to everyone else, how nervous you're going to be, I mean, yeah. those yeah. three guys, none of them hit the green and it was, you know, I think one of them, one, yeah, actually the four, four of the guys that did not advance, two of them for, were from that first group. Yeah. It was, it was just such a hard moment because I felt like, cause I'd, I'd been at the USAM three times before that and I hadn't advanced to match play. And so I felt like years of, of work and anticipation had led to that shot. And I, I just so desperately wanted to advance and just have a crack at match play. And it came down to one swing really. And, and so that's just why it was, it was such a challenging shot yeah. at, well, the, at I, the same time. I, I know you had a great run and, and yes, you did, you did lose in the semis. You miss out on what happens when you're a finalist uh, in the U S amateur, but yeah. Um, and, and that is something that, I mean, there's really no, nothing to, you know, there's, it is what it is. There's going to be two guys every year that are going to lose that match. And it's just, they'll, they'll move on yeah. and deal with it. And judging by what you've done to move on through, you know, challenging times, I have, I mean, you've clearly moved on and you're about ready to, 
um, embark on a new uh, chase, which is which we'll get to in a minute with regarding the Walker Cup. But um, yeah. there are a lot of people that that maybe got to know you during the USAM, uh, got to to follow you, and thankfully there was a mechanism in place for people to follow you because there's, and I'm of course talking about the the world renowned Derek Hitchner tracker on Twitter. <laughs> That, yeah, that, right. That still, I don't. I, I I think it's still a mystery as to who is running that. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I I may have been sworn to secrecy, but when I think <laughs> of people that need their own media team, I think of Derek Hitchner because <laughs> right, I right. Mean, so when you did you know that this was happening that there was going to be a Derek <laughs> Hitchner tracker uh, on Twitter? Yeah. Well, is it actually? Is it actually is it secretive twi- that people don't know who runs it? Do you? I I, I know I, who runs I know who runs it, but I don't know if it's some if that person wants to be put out there sure, on blast. Sure. But if you want to out this person, I'm fine with it. Well, uh, I'll I'll save that for the appropriate time. But okay, okay. I just I remember the origins of it are are that we were at, I think at a regional tournament maybe in in the uh, the spring of 2022, and the 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 individual who who has created the account just downloaded the, the face app and started making just a bunch of hilarious edits to, to people's faces with right. just variety of features. And, and then I don't know, I think the Twitter account started at nationals and I, I don't know why exactly, but um, there's just, I guess, inspiration to do it. I thought it would be a, a one-time occurrence. And then all of a sudden just the tweets kept flowing out of, out of, out of that account throughout the summer and, and obviously into the USAM and, yeah, no, it, it it's absolutely hilarious, and I I haven't looked at the account in a while, but this this conversation might inspire me to do that just because it it's I, I'm pulling it up right so funny now. to me. I'm pulling it up right now just because I I, I find it um, I, I find it I mean it's clearly something that's necessary. That's that's something that I think <laughs> needs to be said right there. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I just hope I hope people realize that I'm actually not. Oh, saying no, those no. things it's, that are quoted it's, it's not you it's not you. <laughs> now um yeah that's that's I, it, important it, it's not you you're not that guy but um yeah i it's it, it's something that i think uh you know it, it's it's gonna catch on it's gonna get it's gonna grow further but um but you're also not a big social media guy either that's like that's not true yeah true is it you don't like the my chosen career and how i pay my bills you don't you don't like <laughs> Right. That's exactly, exactly right. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I've always idolized just an, an off the grid style of life. Okay. I, I'm, I'm somewhat joking when I say that, but just, I, I don't know. I, I, I've never really. You're not a, hey, look, you're not, you're not a, Hey, look at me guy. I'm, I'm not either. exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I'm actually, I spend a lot of time on Twitter just as a, a news source and Sure. Obviously, source for entertainment as well. But when it comes to posting about me, I, I literally have no desire to do that at any point. Yeah, I'm, but I, I'm more of a "Hey, look at my happen. guests" as opposed to "Hey, look at me." So um, yeah, yeah. Well, now you're okay. So wait, a minute, you're a poli sci major in your undergrad. Yeah, uh, and we just talked about Twitter. Uh, do you have anything? Uh, I mean, what what's your feeling on where Twitter could go with uh, with with Musk? And you must have something to say about this. Ah, I'm I'm ill prepared for this question. I I don't know. I mean, obviously, you'll. It seems like a the vast majority of people have declared that the Twitter is entering the abyss of ruin and destruction. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I mean, I'm sure there will be other media sites that 
replicate some, I guess, components of Twitter that will prop up. But sure. until then, it's it's obviously it's still being used widely and still very popular. And I don't think the the user experience has changed a whole lot since he took over. So I I don't know. It, it's more something that I'm just observing as a as just someone on the outside, and I, I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about what will happen or analyzing that. But it, it's it's interesting at the uh, at a at a bare minimum. Yeah, I I find um, uh, it, it's it's just the I, I I honestly don't know what to think about it. Uh, I I don't know understand why we, I mean obviously freedom of speech and and we want to have, <coughs> we want to allow all voices to be heard. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I, there's I think we should talk about golf. All right, so we're gonna go talk about golf now. <laughs> I I want to get too hung up in the air. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, but, but, yeah. I, I'm glad there's a Derek Hitchner tracker out there, and um, uh, yeah, I, and the person that runs it is doing doing the Lord's work. Um, <laughs> they should keep doing it. Uh, talk to me about this year's team. Now, you, you had, you had really last year was kind of the final run of of you and and Verzich and Highsmith and and Mao and Minetti, and uh, Minetti transfers UNC. And then you also your assistant coach Blaine Woodruff he takes the head coaching job at Chattanooga. Try right. three yeah. new guys come in. You got Nieves uh, transferring in from from Delaware, Choi transferring yeah. in from New Mexico, Gifford transferring in from South Florida. I mean, the, the it's like the year of the transfer portal at uh, at Pepperdine. Mm-hmm. How have things changed as far as? I mean, you have a new role on the team, I guess. Or do or do you? I don't know. I mean, how how does this? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What what, what are the changes and how do you acclimate to new teammates yeah yeah i mean it's a it's a fundamentally different team in so many ways we only have three returners just william ian and and me and um so honestly it has felt like a new team and it also for myself and even though i've been here for four years it still feels like i'm entering this new phase of just being in a new new team with new group of guys but i feel like it's been it's been just an absolute, absolutely awesome experience. Um, it's just, it's such a high quality group of guys and the transfers who came in and, and Brady, who's a freshman have just added so much personality and, and character and entertainment to the team. Um, I mean, I, I could, I could tell you for a very long time what I like about each guy, but it just, it seems like it's just such a solid group and we just really care about each other and have a lot of fun together. And um, I think one thing that also stands out about the new faces is just how much they appreciate being here and how grateful for that they are for the opportunity to be here and now that's just that's a that's a cool perspective to to be around and to be surrounded by and um and i i feel the same way about pepperdine that that's yeah been been kind of how i would characterize my experience here too and and so it's just yeah it just it feels like we're we're similar in a lot of ways with how we view things view the the opportunity of playing here and um and so yeah i i i'm really excited about the group of guys we have and it's been a, a really fun season so far. Hard to get uh, Sam Choi to smile and laugh, isn't it? <laughs> but he he is he's something else. He's I, I love that guy to death. He, he's he's awesome. That I'm guy. I'm so glad he came. Yeah, he is just. Uh, I I don't think I've ever seen him uh, not smiling, and it's kind of frustrating for me as a photographer <laughs> right. because I can't get him to smile. <laughs> I can't get him to stop smiling and waving at the camera. I'm like I'm like you got you're killing me, bro. Like what are you doing? You're right. Right. <laughs> act, act like you haven't had your picture taken before, but that's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. It, that, well, that's good. That's a nice fit. That's a, and it's got to be a nice kind of role for you to 
not I don't want to say like well now you're the leader of the team but you're definitely come you're more of a veteran obviously as far as these three guys coming in not knowing the ropes and and I mean being able to show them Malibu like hey here's where you're going to school now that had to have been fun getting them like out on the town for the first time yeah well it, it's funny you say that because it's just a very small example but in the first week of classes I was I was walking around this one building looking for a class and I literally had no idea where to go and then I just happened to find Brady, who's our, our freshman, and he was just like standing. I think he was waiting for a class, I guess, and he he knew where my room was, and I didn't. And so, just that's one example of how it. Like, obviously, I've been showing guys the rope, but the ropes and whatnot. But like, it, it doesn't. I mean, it's still. It's it's not exactly like that. Just in the sense that, like, Brady knows the campus better than I do, and and some of the guys have been to more places in Malibu than I have. And so, there's definitely a component of, of just the fact that I've been here for so long and have that experience. But um, yeah, no, it's just, it's been a really good blend and it's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome. Well, I'm going to get you out of here so you can kind of get, get prepared for the rest of your week. But I wanted to ask, you you know, we, we mentioned earlier in the beginning of the episode, last time I saw you was with the East West matches at Merida, which is, I think is going to really quickly become over the next several years, probably one of the marquee amateur events, which is basically, um, you know, mid-ams and seniors uh, from East mm-hmm. and West uh, battling. And then each team has two collegiate players. And on the East side yeah. was uh, yeah. Caleb Surratt and Nick Donlap. And then on the West was yourself and Luke Potter. And, you know, the one thing I wanted to ask, I think it was really great. I mean, you were, you, you know, you were one of the, you were the oldest college player that was there. I mean, Potter yeah. and Surratt and, and Dunlap are, are freshmen. And I think, right, uh, yeah, they're freshmen. So I thought it was really good that you were there. And I, I had a feeling that you were going to maybe take more out of it than they would have just because you're, you're older and you're a senior. But when you spent that much time around those mid-ams and forget about the quality of play, which was at a very high level, but when you're around those guys, you know, what's your takeaway from just like, okay, they're not going the pro, they didn't go the pro route, or if they did, they've got their status back, but that's their life. They get to go do things yeah. like that. That had, yeah. to, that had to look pretty sweet. It did. Yeah. No, it was, it was a really, really sweet experience. Um, and just, yeah, being around, cause I'd, I'd never done any sort of competition or exhibition like that, but right. being around so many guys who were all gathered there purely for the love of, of, of golf and of, of the camaraderie and, and just, just the fact that they wanted to be there so badly. And, and you could just, you could obviously tell and, and, and observe that with how everyone interacted and how uh, just, I guess, grateful they were for just that, that experience. And so it was, it was really cool to witness that. And it just seemed like it was, it was such a good embodiment of, of what's good about amateur golf and, and why amateur golf is, is as special as it is. And, and so I'm, I'm super grateful that I, I could, I could witness that and, and participate in it. And I'm um, yeah, very, very grateful that I, I had the opportunity to do that. And you had some, uh, you had some partners in this. I'm pulling it up right now, but I want to make sure I remember who you partnered up with. Cause I think, yeah. I know you. Well, yeah, I know you partnered up with Luke in in one of the matches. That was a four ball <clears throat> match. But in the foursomes, if I remember right, you partnered up with John that John Salen. You had a win with him. Yeah, that's a good mm-hmm. guy to know. You know where he works, right? 
I do. I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great guy to know. That's a, that guy works at uh, that, that place out in Carmel. That's a, and, and he's not a caddy master. So that's a, that's a good guy to know. Um, yeah. And then you had, let's see, who'd you have? Oh, and then, well, how could I forget? Right. You're, right. You're, I, you know, this, this works out perfectly into our next topic. You get paired up yeah. with Mike McCoy, the captain of captain, the Walker Cup yeah. team. And I think I gave you a little bit of shit. I was like, now, Derek, listen. I remember that. Okay. <laughs> You're like, now, Derek. I remember that vividly. I think, Derek, if you don't win this match, I mean, you know, might as well kiss that goodbye. Um, how, how, <laughs> how, how was that match, though? I mean, I know you guys lost to, to Rusty Strong and Caleb Strong, but, but yeah. getting to spend time with him, that had to be a lot of fun. It was it was, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, there were John and, and, and Captain, <laughs> Captain McCoy are both just fantastic guys. And yeah. I... I mean, I felt badly because my my play deteriorated as the week went on, and unfortunately, played actually really well with Luke in the first match, and played solidly with John, and then with with Mike. I, I just remember putting him in some horrible spots throughout that course, and, and then I, I didn't really make any pots, and so I, I I was I was disappointed. I wish I'd played better, but still, it was I didn't I, didn't, I felt like that was secondary to just the experience of of being there and and playing with teammates like that and so being able to do that with with john and, and mike was pretty special yeah i i really enjoy seeing the relationships between the, the college guys and and the mid-ams and the seniors and just you know you're in a room you know i knew the number they were you know they announced the number of usga appearances combined with yeah. both teams and it was in the 600s and it was in the 600s uh two years ago so I mean, yeah it, it, yeah and it's just to see that it was funny just you know, hearing people just kind of chuckle and be like, holy cow, like yeah, 40 ridiculous. guys and it's like 600 and some odd appearances. Um, yeah, it's it's a crazy yeah. number. Um, totally. And and you now, now obviously we're having fun about, about joking around about the fact that, you know, you, 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 you didn't get the, the Walker Cup captain to win, but yes, you are still heading down here to South Florida in a few weeks to go to the Walker Cup practice session, 16 players. Um, and you know all the best collegiate players, and 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 you know a couple mid ams will be showing up, and it's really an opportunity mm-hmm. for, you know, it's it's a special uh, few days because it's as much it's not a tryout, it's more of team bonding. But you're going to play some pretty sweet golf courses and be around some pretty cool people. Um, I, I'm guessing this is. I, I love that they're going to try and tell you it's not a tryout, which it isn't. It's not, but you're you're, mm-hmm. you're getting ready for this, aren't you? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, ha- I mean, have to be transparent about that. I, I, obviously I really, really want to play well and, um, and just, yeah, showcase, I guess the occasional good golf that I have, but, um, yeah, no, it's just, it, it's unbelievable. It's pretty indescribably special, but I, I just have a, an opportunity to, to participate in that. Um, I mean, it, it goes without saying the Walker cup is, is the, the pinnacle of amateur golf and, is just such a renowned and incredible experience. And so just having the knowledge that I'm kind of on the, I guess on the doorstep of that is, is really, really cool. And regardless of what happens next summer, it's something that I'll, I'll cherish forever. Just having, having a a chance to participate in that kind of that first step of the process. And um, yeah, no, I I can't wait for it. I'm sure the courses are going to be incredible and, and the, just the whole atmosphere of the experience will be incredible. And, so I'm, I'm very excited for it. So how do you, have you worked through how you're approaching like your, your, 
spring collegiate season and then the summer leading into that? I mean, have you maybe asked or thought about how you put yourself in the best best position? I mean, I, I mean, obviously you got to, you got to win, but I mean, you've said actually in a recent interview, you're, you're not, you don't know where you, I mean, this is a, or tell me if I'm, this, is a this is correct. You don't know where you stand on turning professional. I mean, is, yeah, is, is right. amateur golf in your future or are you just kind of not sure yet? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something that I, uh, I've thought a lot about and I'm uh, still very uncertain about just in the sense that with the, the PJ tour U initiative and with how it seems like day by day, that's, that's improving and, and yeah. expanding. It's, I mean, there are some very strong incentives to go that route at the same time. There are some very strong incentives to, to stay as an am for another summer. And so I think I'll just have to see where my play takes me. And, um, I don't, I don't have any sort of kind of cutoff line for a tour you're ranking right that would then compel me to turn pro or or to go the opposite way and so i feel like at this point i'm just going to take it kind of week by week and, and see how the the spring transpires but i would say i'm i'm very 50 50 on it and um it's a it's a great problem to have though just because the I either have the opportunity of competing for a spot on the the walker T cup team lineup which is an incredible incentive but at the same time i also may have the option of of kind of taking the next step forward in life and trying to play professionally and so both are super exciting both are, are pretty special opportunities and um looking forward to whatever whatever my, my my next summer looks like i just don't know what that exactly will be well we got time to figure that out don't we i'm i'm glad i do because <laughs> i i need it I need as much of it as it can get well, Derek, you have a great uh, you have a great experience just weeks in front of you at the Walker Cup practice session here in South Florida. So I wish you the best with that, and enjoy the rest of your uh, collegiate experience at Pepperdine. I know you guys are going to be making a, a run at another national championship. Um, glad we got to do this. I know it's been long overdue. Enjoy the holidays, and uh, I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Yeah, really appreciate you having me on. And there you have it. Thanks so much to my guest, Derek Hitchner, for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Wishing everyone the happiest of New Year. We'll see you again next time in 2023 here at the Back of the Range.